Welcome to the eighth and final part of this series. If you've been with us from the beginning, we've been flying this bird for a long time. Uh, we're going to try and land it today, and uh, we'll see, we'll see uh, how we do. Um, we've really been building quite a, um, using a lot of blocks along the way to build up to the full idea of relationship with God. And we, we started out looking at how God created us to be in relationship with him, that all of us desire um, relationship that, that's not just, I mean, we're, it's easy to get into the surfacey relationships, but those relationships where you're fully known and fully accepted, um, that even with your flaws and the ugliness and the things that, that you try and hide from most people, to be in a relationship where those things are known and you're still accepted and not looked down upon. Um, we, we all strive for that. And that's the kind of relationship God created us to have. Um, but that relationship was broken extremely early um, through, through a break of trust. And for the Bible, from that moment on, from the very beginning of the story of man, the Bible from that story, point on is a story of God um, pursuing us and reestablishing that relationship. Um, that, that, and, and it's a, it's a wonderful story. And we've looked at, at three, um, major obstacles that we have in our lives when it comes to our relationship with God. Um, and, and the first one is this, is that we believe that our actions or our sins play a role in how God views us. Um, it does play a role in how we view ourselves. Um, it plays a, a role in how we think we are worthy or not worthy to approach God. Um, but we saw that God, he dealt with our sins on, on, with Jesus on the cross, like that our sins were dealt with and he doesn't view our relationship any different um, because of our actions, whether they be good or bad. You don't earn more favor in the eyes of God, the, the second major obstacle that we run into is that most of us don't take time to listen. When we pray, the majority of our prayers are, God, do something, fix something, come through for me, bail me out, what have you. Um, but for there to be actual relationship, uh, there's got to be communication, which requires listening. And very, many, very few of us take the time to create a space for God to speak to us in our prayer lives, um, which is partly because the number three obstacle is we're way too busy. Can I get an amen? <laughs> is there anybody in here who does not find themselves too busy? All right. Okay. Maybe you need to work. What was that? A, you need to, oh, oh, this is kind of like an auction, man. You want to be careful when you're, <laughs> you kind of, although you may be able to do more. I'm just saying, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you. I love you, Peyton. I love you. All right. So, um, we concluded last week with the idea that busyness is the enemy of relationship. The busier you are, the more that your relationships suffer. And the things that are important in relationships are eroded by our schedules and the schedules that most of us keep. And if you're constantly busy, there's no time for communication. There's no time for um, unstructured, unrushed time together with someone. There's no time for undivided attentions. And the things that we, that, that, that we are busy doing, they seem so important at the time. So important. But when we look back on it, we don't have much to show for what we've spent our time on. 
the things that kept us so busy. And we talk about the idea that busyness is driven by things that we're not even aware of. That is, there's something inside of you that's driving it. And for many of us, it's fear, whether it be fear of failure, fear of being left behind, not fitting in, fear of not paying bills, fear of, there's fear of something that drives much of our busyness. And we can't seem to break the cycle. And because of that, our relationships suffer. And they begin to deteriorate. And the people who should be our priority in life, the busier we get, they seem to get pushed to the side. And all of a sudden, the ones that we're so busy for, that we say we're doing this for, that we're trying to serve, that we're trying to provide for, all of a sudden, we get so busy that they themselves, kind of, we start to view them as the problem and in the way, and we lose patience with them. There, there was an interesting project that was done. Oh, man, it was a while ago now, probably about 10 years ago. And um, there was this group of sixth graders that was brought together and they were all given these questionnaires to fill out. Um, And and they had some interesting answers on these questions. Here were the questions and some of the answers. One of the questions was, if you had enough money to buy any three things for your parents, what would you buy for them? And the top three answers that came came back were, I would buy less worry, less stress, and more time with me. Those were the answers that the sixth graders came back with. The second one, in in which direction are you moving in your relationship with your parents? Are you moving closer or further away? Unanimous answer, further away, right? Then there was the follow-up question, why? The answer came back, not enough time spent with them. Another question, if if you were your parents, what would you do more? Anybody want to guess the answer? (laughs) Spend more time with me. That was the number one answer. And some of you, if you're parents, you're probably thinking, wait a minute, my kid clearly was not in that because my kid seems to be doing everything they can to get away from me, not wanting me to spend more time with them. They followed up, they asked, why don't your parents have enough time to spend with you? And the answers came back predominantly with dad, that they work all the time. And when he's home, he's on the computer. And with mom, even when they are home, she's so busy that there's not time for us. And then they, they asked us this, why don't you tell your parents you want more time with them? The answer was, is because if we do that, they think something's wrong and then pry and pry and pry into all areas areas of our life, trying to figure out why we want to talk to them. And so because of this, the net effect of this, and this is just one example of how busyness erodes at and and destroys and chips away at relationships. And we, we live, you know, if we were to ask the parents, the parents would say, Everything we're doing is important. We're providing for them. We're, you know, helping them. We're doing the things that are necessary for them. Everything that we're doing is important. But the net effect is that there's damage in the relationship between parent and child because of time, because busyness destroys relationship. Now, it's completely understandable how we all got so busy, right? I mean, I mean it's good. We live in a culture that rewards busyness. Uh, in, the, in the marketplace, the busier you are, the, the more you seem to take on, the more responsibility you have, the more you seem to be rewarded. Um, the more you do, you seem to be recognized more. The more you in, uh, um, invest more, um, the more committed people think that you are. Uh, there, was a, there was an article that was talking about this phenomenon that was happening in offices, 
And the phenomenon was, is that you would go, you would start to go through offices that had all of these, um, you know, there, there were a whole bunch of offices together and you could walk by doors of offices and you were, people were starting to notice that at night you would walk by a lot of the doors and the office door would be hanging open and the light would be on and there would be a jacket or something under some hanging bag, hanging on the back of the seat. The desk would have papers kind of muddled about and, you know, on there. And they started to notice this more and more. And it turns out people were doing this to try and make other people think they were still there. That they had just stepped out for a minute because there was so much emphasis put on, you've got to be dedicated. You've got to be working more. You've got to be doing it. And so they were like, well, I don't know if I can, but maybe I can try and make them think I'm just at the restroom right now when they walk by. Right. And so they wouldn't clean up their office and make it obvious that they were gone. But all of it, the whole, the whole thing, it, it just slices away at our ability and our potential to have relationship both with our Heavenly Father and with people around us because we are so busy. So today I want to read a passage of scripture that is Jesus's response to this dilemma of busyness that we've found ourselves in. And when I read this, something inside of you is going to want to say or will say, I'm so sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's a nice verse. That's a nice passage. I've heard that one before. That's not going to work. Maybe in another life, you know, I don't know, maybe back in Jesus' time this worked, but you know, our time, our era just doesn't understand. But what I'm about to read, and it seems so unrealistic, I admit it's unrealistic seeming, but the reason that I buy into this idea not that I've mastered this idea by any stretch, but the reason I buy into the idea is because of who said it. Because Jesus was a man that was busier than any of us. He had more to do than any of us and less time to do it in. And what he was doing was way more important than the stuff that we do. I mean, he's got the most important mission of anybody who's ever walked the face of the earth right? And he's got more to accomplish than anybody else has accomplished in the history of man and only three years to do it in. I mean, the, when the clock started on his ministry, it was tight. And here's a guy who never really traveled any longer than walking distance away from his home. And so he didn't get super, he wasn't a world traveler, wasn't out there. But yet 2000 years later, here we are talking about him on the other side of the world. And as I read the gospels, it becomes really apparent to me that Jesus took his own advice, that he actually bought into what he told us to do in this passage. He actually did himself. So even though this seems a little unrealistic, here's something that you need to consider doing for yourself. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one or love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and in this translation is money. But that word money is mammoth, which really probably is better translated stuff. You can't serve your stuff. Everything that takes up space in your life is stuff, right? And Jesus then kind of gets a little philosophical as he's talking about how you can't serve your stuff, all the things taking up your life and God at the same time. He starts waxing poetic. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Or perhaps better for our application, do not be distracted by. Do not be worried about your life, 
what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. It is not, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. He says, look at the birds of the air. And I just can imagine as Jesus was saying this out loud, I just picture like somebody in the background, you know, maybe picture like a uh, um, Bible times Isaac, <laughs> just a little light guitar starts, you know. Maybe, maybe he's got somebody with just a little strings starting in the background. Consider, consider the bird of the air, right? right? I mean, and our response is we even just start into that, that passage. Consider the birds of the air. Our response is the birds. Who's got time to sit and look at birds? But this is what he's talking about. He says, consider them. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? One quick comment here. As he's talking about food and clothing in this passage, let's be honest. You and I don't really worry about food and clothing, do we? we don't, none of us in this room are worrying about where our next meal is going to come from. But in their day, as he's speaking to them about things that like take up their mind space and that they're preoccupied with before the days of refrigeration, acquiring food every single day was a deal. It was a worry. And so, so, so perhaps maybe if, if Jesus was saying this to us now, perhaps maybe the equivalent of worrying about the meal and the things you're going to have and how you're going to get them, maybe he would phrase it, um, you know, don't worry about your job. Don't worry about your mortgage. Just look at the birds. <laughs> right? You're like, Jesus, looking at the birds ain't paying my mortgage. Right? But he keeps going. He's going. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. That seemed a little mean right there. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Now, Jesus has the nice, you know, string Bible time Isaac playing in the background. And he's like, oh, birds are, but he keeps like jabbing a little bit. He throws in a you of little faith. Why are you worried about this? And then at the end of that, that last sentence, it was a, even the pagan, the pagans worry about these things. That was an insult to his listeners. Those who don't even believe in God are chasing after these things. And yet this is what you're doing. And so he's comparing them saying, you are acting like you are being the same as the pagans, which was an insult. He says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Kind of, a, kind of a little sideway of saying, hey, you keep worrying and praying about all these things. Don't you think God knows? You're not informing God that you need these things. So here's what we're supposed to do. Instead of that, he says, but first, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry or do not be distracted by. Do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There we go. I think I've given you enough. Figure out how to apply it. Let's pray.
Good. <laughs> right. You know what he's saying here? And this is, this, is, this, is, this is an idea, and I know it's simplistic, but you want to argue with it, and it's a little threatening, and you just want to push back against it. But if you want to eliminate the busyness in your life, if you want to eliminate that just being overwhelmed all the time with what's next, what's next, what's next, what I got to be worried about, what I got to be worried about, what I got to be worried about, you need to prioritize your values. That's what it comes down to. In other words, water, food, clothes, and God, they're all important, right? You got it. All those things are necessary, but which is most important? Your job, you got to have that. Your mortgage, got to pay that. God, need to have relationship with you. It's important, but which is most important? It's not that the other things aren't important. It's not that I'm sitting here trying to tell you that, okay, you're all so busy and you're just wasting your time because you're busy with unimportant things. They are, but it's a question of priority. Where do you rank the things that you're busy with? And the way to stop being so busy is not by trying to stop being busy. Anybody try that? <laughs> and we've been like, okay, that's it. We're stopping scheduling so many things. I'm going to not be so busy. We're going to have intentional time with this. And that works for like a day 0.5 right? And then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy again. It's not to just say no to things because we, this is what we do in so many areas of our life is we depend upon our own willpower and our own abilities to fix something. So we're like, okay, here's a problem. It's going to be on me to fix it. And so I'm going to fix this by just saying no to things in my schedule. And the problem is, is that if we were strong enough to have a non-busy schedule in the first place, we would have a non-busy schedule. But we're not. And so there's got to be another way. And the other way is by putting your heavenly father first and letting him structure your priorities and your values. There's a great quote by... Henry Allen, who was a theologian, 1700s, I think. He said, I discovered I cannot fight the demons of busyness directly. So apparently this is a problem people have had for a long time, right? But I cannot continuously say no to this or no to that unless there is something 10 times more attractive to choose. The only hope is to find something so obviously real and attractive that I can devote all of my energies to saying yes to that. In other words, you've got to find something true enough to guide your life by, right? And in a light of that truth, prioritize your values. And Jesus says, I've got the thing. I've got the thing. Here's the thing. If you focus, if you will just focus on my kingdom first, and that is your priority, that will begin to reprioritize your life. You won't even really have to work at reprioritizing because the, the, the level of what's important and what order things should go in and how you should worry about things, if you are seeking the kingdom of God first, the rest of that will begin to fall in place. And when it's all said and done, you, you'll get done what needs to be done. And you will have what you need to have without sacrificing relationship with those around you and without sacrificing relationship with your heavenly father. Don't just learn to say no. That doesn't work. We learned that in the 80s with drugs, right? <laughs> 
Just saying no doesn't work. There's got to be something that you say yes to that is more important than the things that you're trying to say no to. And so when you begin your day, not saying no to everything else, but saying, okay, yes to God. Yes, I'm going to prioritize you, Heavenly Father. You will find it much easier when those other things come along to be like, no, can't, sorry, 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 sorry. See, busyness, when we get down to it, I've set it up, and this is a trick. Busyness really isn't the problem. Busyness is simply a manifestation of the problem. The problem really is misprioritized values. Now, everybody in this room, everybody is seeking something first, right? How many of you, without even having to think about it, know what your first thing is that you seek? Anybody? Okay. Those of you who don't know, ask the person next to you. They've probably got a pretty good idea of what it is that you're seeking first. But we all have some. Some of us are seeking approval. Some of us are seeking money. Some of us are seeking progress, whatever that may look like within our life. Some are, some are seeking order and organization. Like your whole goal is just for everything to kind of seem structured because the world around you isn't structured, right? And there are so many good things that you can be involved in and so many good things that can, that can be occupying your time. But the problem is, is that you're seeking those things first, they carry the importance. They have the priority within your life. And God's saying, okay, no, 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 wait. Those things are okay. But if you seek me first, you will find there is a way to have all of it. To have all of it, right? But just, just if you try to have all of it first and the relationships suffer, you're going to end up two things. One, driving yourself kind of crazy trying to keep up with the schedule. And two, you're eventually going to find yourself alone because relationship can't handle busyness, right? So, so what, does, what does it look like practically? What does it look like for us to seek God first in life? It, it, it's real simple, not easy, but simple. The idea is real simple. You will love God when you do this, you will love people and you will be free to do whatever you want with the rest of your time, with the rest of your energy and with the rest of your money, right? You will be able to seek a relationship with God first. You will be faithful to the people who are important to you. And then all of the rest you can do with as you please. And you will be amazed that when you get the priority in that right order, how much there is to do with what you please, right? And the threat of this is that we're all so worried about, well, what happens if I stop paying attention to those things? What happened if I, probably like, probably like one of the best examples that I've seen of a person be able to, and this was a really bold move. We're used to it now because it's happened for so long, but like a really, really bold move was how many of you are really upset when you find yourself craving Chick-fil-A and then you remember it's Sunday, <laughs> right? Anybody else have this? Listen, one time my wife and I took a trip to Florida and we were gone for a week or so and we had skipped, we had missed a Sunday 
on that trip. And so like Sundays kind of mark my week. Like that's the, you know, everything revolves around the Sunday. And so when I don't have a Sunday, like I lose track of what day it is. And so we're driving back from Florida on our way to Savannah. We're coming through Jacksonville and we're like, oh, we're hungry. Want some lunch? Yeah. So I'm like, all right, let's pull off on this exit. Oh, there's Chick-fil-A. And I go driving in and me, king of awareness of what's going on around me. I did not notice at all that there were no cars in this parking lot. I'm thinking like spicy deluxe with American cheese, please. You know, it's just, <laughs> and so I pull up to the, to the speaker and I'm like, roll my window down. I'm sitting here and I'm just waiting for the person. <laughs> A couple minutes go by. We're seeing there. Note that my wife did not tell me it was Sunday or nobody was there, but we're sitting there. And eventually I said out loud, I'm like, man, they must really not want to sell me a sandwich today. At which point we looked around and realized, oh, it's Sunday. <laughs> yeah. But here's the point. The point is, is do you know how small the profit margins on restaurants are? Like they're, they're, they're small. It's why so many restaurants close all the time. And of course, when you've got some kind of chain with a franchise, you've got a little better chance of making some money. But when Truett Cathy, the owner of Chick-fil-A, when he decided we're not open on Sunday, everybody, everybody in the industry predicted you're not going to be around long. <laughs> Because if you don't operate and take in the money all seven days, there's no way you're going to make enough money to stay open. There's no way it's going to be profitable. It just can't happen. And from every measurable statistic that people had in our own understanding, they were right. It couldn't happen. But guess what? It's happened. Now, what I think has happened is that these, there's such an addiction created. I'm not sure what all the ingredients are in Chick-fil-A chicken. <laughs> there's such an ingredient, there's such a, an addictive ingredient and element to it that I'm pretty sure Mondays are so busy from people getting their Sunday fix that they make up for it. But the point being is he said, no, 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 no. God first. God first. And the rest of it worked itself out. And it was a big gamble, but it was a gamble that he decided to take. He decided to say, I am setting a priority when it comes to my chicken sandwiches that I'm going to put God first, not on Sunday. And, and don't get me wrong. This idea of, of saying like, no, you got to be able to choose God first and you're not going to be so busy. This isn't, this isn't sitting around and doing nothing. This isn't being irresponsible and letting important things fall to the wayside and not going after them. It is about prioritizing what will I do first. And Jesus is saying to all of us, if you seek relationship with me first, the other things will be taken care of. It'll work out. And we don't understand how those things are going to be taken care of, right? But God's saying, trust me, seek me, try me. And you'll be amazed. And yes, that's scary. But listen, I am convinced, even though I have not mastered this, I am convinced that this is the only way out of the cycleness of overwhelming, cycleness, of overwhelming busyness in our life. It's the only way. 
Because we won't have the ability, we don't live in the culture that allows us to just say no to the things that are going on, right? So here it is. When it comes to your relationship with God, this whole big thing, our current relationships with God, for most of us, for most Christians, are not how God created it to be. There's more. There's more depth. And he's gone to some great lengths and done some amazing things to reestablish the broken relationship with us, to reestablish the trust, to put us back onto to a footing, a level ground that we're able to interact with him. But we have a decision to make because there are barriers between us and God and those barriers are, are, are of our own doing. So are we going to allow those things to rob us of the relationship that God created us to have with him? Or are we going to choose to get past those things, those insecurities about actions and about failures that we have? Are we going to get past the idea that prayer isn't anything really more than asking God for things? And are we going to allow the busyness of life to suffocate depth of relationship with God? Because he has made every effort to make relationship with us possible. But now it's on us to move in his direction. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I am continually amazed as I read through the scriptures just how far you have gone to repair and to reestablish the idea of relationship between you and us. Father, it's, Lord, in fact, sometimes it, may, it makes me feel unworthy, even though you have made me worthy. And Lord, there are so many things within our culture and with our own minds and with the way we approach things that, that are barriers to that relationship with you. Lord, I pray you begin to help us move past those things. Lord, I pray that as we begin to make the effort of spending time with you, giving time for you to speak to us, to communicate back to us, Lord, that you begin to make us aware of the things that are blocking our relationship with you and give us the wisdom to understand how to approach those things and the courage to do what has to be done so that we can make you first. And then and only then can we begin to possibly understand the way the rest of life can be prioritized and what the fullness of relationship with you really is. Lord, I thank you for your mercy, and I thank you for your grace. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. Look forward to seeing you next week as we begin a brand new series.